Welcome to our weekly and Episcopal Sermon podcast. We are so glad you found us. This is a live recording of the gospel reading and sermon from last Sunday's service at the Episcopal Church in Almaden. The life of this podcast depends on your listening support. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to support us, simply subscribe to this podcast on your channel of choice. Come, join us along our shared path for today's episode. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus told his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, you will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to the place where you are going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, except for me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and see him. Jesus said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Father, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me, he does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these. But to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Spirit. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and give us a remarkable rapport of speaking and listening that what is said and what is heard may be useful to you and to your kingdom for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I just noticed that I forgot the microphone, so I'll speak up without a mask whenever asked to do so. The start of this sermon begins in kind of a strange place. It's an effort to be relevant on my part, and I'm not sure I even understand what I'm talking about. So if you know something about the subject, perhaps you can fill me in later. However, uh, this sermon ends with the gospel, and it even begins as relevant to ECA here in Almaden Valley and yourselves. The opening phrase of the gospel is, 
do not let your hearts be troubled. It's an introductory phrase because Jesus is about to die and he knows that. And so he's concerned that the disciples will be troubled at the loss they will feel in his departure. Ironically, it's the same gospel reading that is often used in memorial services and funerals. In fact, I used it last Saturday, uh, not yesterday, week before, in a funeral for an old friend of mine at St. Jude's in Cupertino, where I went to serve after I left here in Almaden. And so it's a familiar reading to me, even a part of that uh, reading at that funeral for uh, my friend Gary Winberg, uh, I will be using it a little bit in the sermon, so it's sort of what you heard in the second Sunday of Easter several weeks ago. So you're hearing it again, but it's worth saying and worth hearing again. Well, it's, it's easy to have a troubled heart. Most people feel losses at some point in their own life. Uh, perhaps you're feeling a loss at the inflation that's going on. Your money buys less than it used to. There are some people that say we're headed for a recession. I think we're going to get a mild, mild one, but I don't give you that as investment advice, just for myself. Sometimes, almost always, people leave home sooner or later. Uh, they're leaving home later now than they used to, but they leave home and feel a sense of loss about that. They have a sense of loss about their family. People mature. They change. They aren't where they once were and how their family once knew them. Uh, people go to doctors and dentists and they lose a tooth or lose an appendix or even sometimes lose their own lives. There's a process in life called a transition, and you probably have heard me speak about that. It's it's really a very important process to understand. And every transition, every life has several of those. And a transition always begins with an ending when the rules no longer fit the game. And that's a loss because you lose the way things are supposed to be. But it takes a lot of exploration to find out how things can be next. And so uh, another transition is just about to appear. And here's where I depart into what's relevant and which I only barely understand. <clears throat> so I speak with trepidation to those of you who are cyber technicians. I think it was about a month and a half ago and I was reading the Weekender Wall Street Journal and lo and behold in a section of that, which I always read carefully, was a long article by, of all people, Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger was holding forth on AI. Uh-huh. Now you understand why I don't understand. <laughs> Who does? AI is a, stands for artificial intelligence. And it's something that's coming upon us rather quickly without a lot of preparation because the people that originally invented the idea and the process really didn't know what they were doing. And even the people that are working on the program, programming, or AI are not sure about what they're doing and whether it's uh, malevolent or benevolent. Who knows? But something is about to change if it hasn't already. And so anyway, I read Henry Kissinger. I wish I'd saved the article I, quoted, I would quote it to you, but I am going to quote briefly from another uh, Weekender All Street Journal article on AI. And this is written by a woman whose name is Peggy Noonan. I'm not necessarily a great fan of Wall Street Journal, but it 
it tells me about a part of the world that I'm usually not in touch with. So here's uh, a brief on Peggy Noonan, whose article begins by saying, a six-month pause? No, longer pause is needed, probably. We're not going to get it, though. To quote Peggy Noonan, artificial intelligence is being developed with sudden and unanticipated speed. Silicon Valley companies are in a furious race. The whole thing is almost entirely unregulated because nobody knows how to regulate it or even, even precisely what should be regulated. That's why this priest is a little bit dense about what AI really is. It completely defeats control. Its own creators don't understand at a certain point exactly how AI does what it does. Thoughts range from Henry Kissinger in these pages, and that's where I first found it. Henry Kissinger, he described technology as breathtaking in its historic import. The figure, the formative, the figure transition, transformation is beginning in human cognitive process since the beginning of printing. So since the beginning of printing. What causes that to be the biggest thing since the beginning of printing? As I understand it, <laughs> minimally, AI is a program which allows the user to assemble a huge range of information for everything that has been known on the subject, to condense it, and then to present it. And people are not sure about how it gets condensed or how it gets presented because it really depends to a certain extent on the goodwill or ill will of the person who has developed the program. And so the program does something with the original intentions of the programmer and presents back to us something which may or may not be true. You understand? No. AI will be benign or malignant as its creators are. We are playing with the hottest thing since the discovery of fire. So if you didn't know, You've heard it here in a sermon for the first time. I trust David Brooks a little more than Peggy Noonan. Uh, David Brooks is a columnist who writes for uh, New York Times, and uh, he, he begins this particular opinion piece, in the age of artificial intelligence, we must major in being human. At the ed, in the edge of artificial in the age of artificial intelligence, we must major in being human. And he goes on to say, "This is what many of us notice about art or prose generated by AI. It's missing a humanistic core. That's vintage David Brooks, thank goodness. It's missing a person's passion, pain, longings, and a life of deeply felt personal experiences. It's machine learned. It's machine learning. It's not human learning. It's machine learning rendered to humans. AI will force us humans to double down on those talents and skills that only humans possess. First of all, there's empathy. Machine thinking is great for understanding the behavioral patterns across populations. It is not great in understanding the unique individual who is right in front of you unique individual that is right in front of you. That's my hope for the age of AI, that it forces us to more clearly distinguish the knowledge that is useful information 
from the humanistic knowledge that leaves people wiser and therefore transformed. So that's about all I have the ability to say about it's coming quicker than you know, and it's going to make a huge difference. And my suspicion is it's already beginning to influence how we think about almost anything we care to think about. AI, which certainly does not sound very much like Scripture to me. So I'll move on along. I think that what you just heard is troubling. And there's that word again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, there's some thinking about AI that certainly troubles hearts, I must say, because it troubles mine and it troubles people like Henry Kissinger and David Brooks, whose sensitivity and thinking is probably a bit different than mine, but nonetheless, I value. Shifting into the gospel, which you just heard read, which you probably do not remember, the gospel begins, do not let your hearts be troubled, and goes on to say, goes on by to say, spoken by Jesus Christ, believe in God, believe also in me. And when he says that, he's, he's tending to equate himself with a thinking that comes from the creator of all the universe. That's a very big statement to make. It reminds me of the source beyond the potential distortions and misinformation potential in AI to destabilize the future. Saying it again, if you listen to Jesus about do not let your hearts be troubled, that means about everything, including AI, because to know Jesus is to know something that is deeper than machine learning. Something deeper than machine learning. And to me, that's pretty good news, because I don't even trust relatively simple machine learning. Uh, how, how do we, how do we, how do we tap into uh, the uh, information we may get from Jesus Christ so as to have a source of information that is beyond what is given us in AI as machine learning? How do we access a connection with that reality called Jesus Christ so that we might count on something more deep and more profound than what someone's program has connected? And of course, that takes us back to Easter. When I was here on the second Sunday of Easter, where I went to some links to talk about the way in which I believe the connection with Christ continues and is called Easter or resurrection. I'll tell you again what I said, in case you weren't here, poor souls, or in the event you didn't get it the first time, or in case you got it but didn't care about it and therefore forgotten it, I will say what I had to say again. How does a person access a relationship with Jesus Christ in the terms that I believe are taught in understanding the resurrection? I'll say it again for you. <clears throat> Goes like this. I believe that everyone who met Jesus of Nazareth, the man, realized that there was something going that hadn't they hadn't recognized or seen before. There was something special about how Jesus was with them that was different than any other special they had ever known in their lives. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is dead. Yes, Jesus is really dead. And by the way, I don't believe that the risen Jesus is a resuscitated corpse. You may believe that. It's written like that. 
I'm not so sure that's helpful to me. So what is there about the crucified Jesus that continues on and is called the resurrection? I believe it has to do with the special presence the disciples knew when Jesus was alive as a man, Jesus of Nazareth. I believe it's got to do with the special presence that he brought that they hadn't seen brought before or hadn't recognized in their own lives because they realized after Jesus was only a corpse, there was something about that man that was still there. Got it? The unique presence that they had known in Jesus the man was still there, although very shortly Jesus the man was no longer there, but they proclaimed him to have been risen. And who was there that made him still present? That was the presence we call Christ that they soon discovered in reading the Old Testament had been there from the beginning. The Old Testament that be present in Christ in what I call incognito ways, not fully understood ways in the Old Testament. Jesus the man is born and suddenly that reality is made known to them in the flesh and in person. Something is really there that had always been there but had never been recognized as there before. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is really dead. They expect that presence that they associate with Jesus to be gone. Not gone. Still there. In each other. In themselves. In strangers. And as they dispersed on the Roman, across the Roman Empire, they found that reality they had known in Jesus still there. They recognized it because they had known it in Jesus. And when they talked about it, that presence was made known in the talking about it. You got it. That is what Easter is called. And so the, the disciples realized that in talking about Jesus, they were a trans-historical reality space before Jesus was born after Jesus was died the same reality was there so if you know something about Jesus you may know it in the person you're sitting next to or the person in the grocery store or the person that you may be uh, at work a person in your family occasionally I catch the glimpse of that in a particular person in my own life he's not here today by the way and so I happen to know the resurrection because I know about Jesus. I talk about him. I have been talking about him to you. And in talking about him, perhaps a bit of his reality is passed on to you. That's what should happen in any good sermon. Happens in some, doesn't happen in others. It's not necessarily the better content of the sermon. It's about the person who's preaching to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, got it. No. At any rate, I call him the risen Jesus. It's called Christ. Tells the disciples that you will know me, and in knowing me, you will know the way, the truth, and the life. And knowing that, you don't have to be quite as concerned about AI because you have a reality that is knowable before AI was even invented and come from a place transcendent and beyond AI that you may get on your computer. Still there? That's good. If you're getting that, you're getting what Easter's about. And fortunately for Easter, 
we don't have to be quite as anxious about AI, although a lot of people don't know anything about Easter and therefore will be influenced by its machine-learned alternative, AI. You gotta watch AI, it's coming. It's probably here already. And to know the difference, you need to know the way, the truth, and the life. If you're getting there, you've got the whole sermon, almost, but not quite. You see why I'm a little confused about what I'm saying. The way, what does Jesus mean by the way? That is to say, the way is the path of relationship to the risen Jesus, to Christ. If you know that way, and you can recognize that presence, then you're on the way. You're walking on the way of Jesus of Nazareth, only it's now the risen Jesus called Christ. And to know that is to know the way to go. That's the path you walk on. You walk by virtue of knowing the special presence that was in Jesus of Nazareth, which was discovered to be transhistorical across time and space. It's always here, never gone away. It's part of what created the universe. Now, if you ask me to explain that, I, I, I stumble. That's even more difficult than AI. At any rate, if you know something about the presence of the risen Jesus in your life, in almost anybody, it could be a Mormon, it could be a Republican, it could be a Democrat, it could be an atheist who doesn't even know who he's presenting. It can be just almost anybody, Jew, Muslim, anybody, everyone's got it. The value of Christianity is that it talks about it explicitly as I've been trying to do with you in the last two or three minutes. You talk about the risen Jesus, you're talking about the present reality that's always there, which is knowable if you know something about Jesus. The truth, oh boy, is that an elusive concept now? The truth. I can recall two or three years ago, I was preaching almost every sermon on how you know about reality because reality has been vastly distorted in our own time. You get different ideas about reality from different people and from the same person that can change from one day to another. That is a serious deficiency to not be able to know what reality is from one day to another. That is a problem. And so to know the presence that was in Jesus is to somehow get the truth about what you're looking at and what you're currently involved in. Got it? Way, truth, life. I think that David Brooks comes closer than anybody in talking about the necessity to remain human in the middle of dishumanizing uh, uh, experiences and institutions. That is to say, to have life is to have the thing that the, the experience while you're alive that was intended by Jesus of Nazareth for those who knew him. Same kind of life, same kind of deeply, deeply human life that Jesus led and showed to other people and which is available now through the risen Jesus Christ. So don't forget, when they talk about Easter, you're not talking about a wandering corpse. You're talking about the always transhistorical presence of the unique presence that was known in Jesus of Nazareth. Got it? If you got that, that's worth knowing about. If you haven't got it, well, this is my second shot at you, so that's the best I can do. So how do you find that relationship to Jesus? You find it by being able to notice that presence that could be right in front of you. I live with it. <laughs> it it's can be exasperating. It can be troubling. It can be glorious. 
but inevitably it leads to the way, the truth, and the life. Finally, I want to say something about you, ECA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first thing I want to notice is I want to notice that the, the culture for ECA is the one that began at the very beginning and which I believe is aptly represented to you in the search profile. You read the search profile, the original founding culture of this congregation is implied on every page, at least that I read, because that's how I read it. It starts with architecture. Notice the architecture there. You ever wonder why you sit here facing other people? The way, the truth, and the life. You're not looking at the back of heads. You're looking at each other. Back at St. Jude's, I once had a person come to me after the conclusion of the Eucharist. And by the way, in that congregation, there's a central altar and people receive communion around the central altar. A man came up to me and said, you know, I just saw him. And I said, who'd you see? He said, I saw Jesus. And I said, yeah, don't tell me his name, but I bet I know him too. He was there right around the altar. This man was amazed. He recognized the unique presence that had been in Jesus of Nazareth in the person across the altar on the other side who was looking right at him. I bet his life was changed forever. And so your life can be changed forever just because of the architecture of this place. It's designed to be an Easter architecture. It's because you're looking at each other. You're not looking at a program. You're looking at what may be born for you in the presence of another person who shows you the presence of Jesus, may not even know they're doing that, may not even know it. But it's especially true when you talk about him. And people don't talk about Jesus much anymore, so that's why he's not known. But when you talk about him, you're getting it. Are you getting it? I don't know. <laughs> Contrary to most institutions, spirit Christian institutions, uh, that, 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 that relationship with the risen Jesus is not well known. It's because congregations get very involved with the institutional characteristics of the group. Institutions do not pass on relationships. Institutions maintain a building and a, a place for people to meet so they can meet each other in relationships. I hope, and I know now, I believe, it's not primarily an institution. It's primarily a set of relationships. And if you read your profile, and if you haven't, do it. It's downstairs. Read your profile, and you can see that they're looking for the sort of person to be the rector who does that, for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. Mm -hmm. That's right. For Christ's sake, you're looking for a person who is able to do that. So read the profile. If you read the profile, you will see the search for the person who has the ability to do that. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. I have said something about AI and how that is a machine set of learnings that do not carry a human touch, but they're going to influence people greatly in a non-human machine learning way. If you don't know that, you want to start reading about it because it's all over the paper now. It's all over the media. It's here upon us before it's even regulated and people do not even know what they're regulating. However, do not let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> Remember? 
do not let your hearts be troubled, because if you know something about the, the eternal presence normatively known in Jesus of Nazareth, you've got, you've got a way of knowing that is well beyond machine learning. And so that's what you want to focus upon when you, when you start to call a new rector. When you interview this person, not virtually, virtual don't do it, not virtually, but in person. When you interview this person in person, see what you get. See whether you feel like there's an alternative personality that's there trying to speak to you. Because if you do, you got the right person. He may or may not know how to organize an institution, but at least he'll be belonging to somebody or some group who will help him learn. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go. Thank you for listening to this week's episode on An Episcopal Sermon Podcast. May this episode inspire you to apply lessons from these teachings to your everyday life. If you found inspiration in this episode, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast through the channel of your choice and spread the word. If you would like to see the full service from which today's sermon was drawn, visit our YouTube channel linked in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support this podcast, feel free to donate any amount to our listeners' support on Anchor or visit the donation page on our website, www.churchinalmaden.org slash donations.